Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Hi, this is Brian Harmon with Nexus Home Healthcare, and I'm joined with my co-host, Joe Alch, with Joy Care Management. Um, this is our very first show. We're excited to present this with you guys. Um, the name of the show is called Senior Care Confidential, and the idea behind the show was to help to highlight not only the challenges that we see in today's current healthcare system, but also some of the innovative practices that we see coming up that will be very helpful and kind of equip the seniors and family members as well as, well as other healthcare professionals um, to um, get access to better care. And today, this is our first episode. We're so excited. And Brian is just the best physical therapist in DFW. And so what a better co-host to work with than Brian. But as a registered nurse, I've been a nurse for 27 years. And, and the one thing that bothers me the most is our patients, um, not just seniors, but all ages that don't have a voice. Yep. Um, their family doesn't have a voice. They're not getting questions answered. And that has happened in my own family where I've had a family member in the hospital and they don't understand what is going on. And, and so we need to change those things in healthcare. But this particular, these friends of mine, dear friends, Dee Dee and Ben Spencer, um, Ben has a very special story to tell. Dee Dee, his wife, walked alongside him, this incredible story. And so we're so excited to have you guys. So we're just going to go ahead and get started and start asking questions. And we're just so appreciative that you're here. Yeah, thank, thank you guys very much. To be here. So this is a big story. So Ben, tell us about the day that changed your life. The day that changed my life was uh, March the 26th, uh, 1987. Uh, I was in bed, uh, had taken a nap, taken some Tylenols, had a headache. And uh, I was awakened by someone knocking on the door. And I was expecting a guy by the name of Charles Stewart to come by because he asked me to follow him to his girlfriend's house to drop, I mean, her job to drop off her car. And so I get up and I see the clock is 2.30, so I expect that it's Charles Stewart. So I head toward the front door, and as I'm heading toward the front door, I notice that I saw pol police cars parked out in front of the house. So I opened the door, and of course there was a, an investigator and a uniformed police officer standing at the door. And uh, he asked me a question, and I, I didn't understand the question, so I asked him, what did he say? And he asked me, did I have any ID? And I told him, of course, and I handed my ID. He took the ID and told me to turn around, face the wall. I was under arrest. And I asked him, what for? He said, uh, I'll tell you in a minute. So at that time, he placed, took me out to his car, placed me in the car. And once he got in the car, he asked me, did you know anything about the white guy they found in the street the other day? I said, I heard about it. So he said, well, that's what you're under, under arrest for, his murder. So... That was the day that changed my life, March uh, 26, 1987. Wow. Dee when you got this news, tell us where you were and how you got the news. I was actually at work, and then Sister Janet called and told me um, that Ben was being arrested. She asked me, did I know where he was? And I told her, yeah, he was at home resting because he had a headache. And he was actually supposed to go to the doctor that evening. 
So he should be at home resting. And she said, well, the police is at y'all's house and he's being arrested. Wow. Mm. And did you guys have any contact like at that point when they whisked you away and you were at work? No. No. Okay. So how long was it before you could even talk to each other? He called home. Ben called home that evening after I got home from work. It was later on that night. Later on. Because uh, after I was arrested, they took me downtown, took me to a a room and began interrogating me, asking me questions about the day of the offense. Of course, I began to answer the question. I mean, give them the answers that I knew, which was my whereabouts the day of uh, March 22nd, 1987. And so I didn't get to call Deborah until I want to say it was it was after I got put in a holdover because I didn't get a chance to use the phone until after that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So talk, walk us through like the, the court case and then like your first few months in prison. The court case, uh, I was tried in October of 1987 for I, the original charge was capital murder. And, but uh, when we made it to trial in October 87, the DA elected not to try me for capital murder, and he tried me for murder. Uh, in that in that jury, uh, in that trial rather, I was uh, convicted and sentenced to thirty five years non aggravated. Wow! And of course, uh, there was some question about my employment. Uh, and it was said, it was testified that I had been terminated prior to the offense taking place. Because uh, part of my defense was that I had a job, no need to for me to have committed such a crime as they were charging me with. And of course, there was this lady came from my job and from the personnel department, she testified that I had been terminated prior, two days prior to the offense. Uh, of course, there was a lady by the name of Gladys Oliver who testified and she testified she didn't know anything about a reward, hadn't, wasn't interested in the reward, and it was discovered uh, while the jury was deliberating and, and returning a guilty verdict that she actually didn't call the investigator as she had testified, but she called Crime Stoppers. So it, it was clear that she did know about the reward and that she was out. And the jury was not aware of that no. when they deliberated? No. So oh judge, the judge who was actually over the, who should have been hearing my case. His name was Jack Hampton. He granted a motion for a new trial. And in March of 1988, I was tried again, charged with uh, aggravated robbery in this trial, was convicted by a jury and sentenced to life. Where were you in between those two trials? Were you imprisoned then, or were you in, able to go home? In the county jail. In the county jail. I, well, actually, from the day of my arrest, I was in the county jail. <sighs> Dee, I know you two were newlyweds. You were only married a couple of months when this happened. But what else was going on? You had just found out something else. We just found out we was pregnant. Mm, <laughs> we were like seven that. months pregnant. Wow. Mm. So when you when you were whisked away to prison, were are you able to say goodbyes at that at that time? Like how does that how does that process work? No, we no. had no goodbyes. No goodbyes. No goodbyes. Mm. So pregnant with a new one on the way. 
And your husband is found guilty and just poof, gone. So were you in the courtroom? No, I wasn't able to sit in the courtroom through both trials because I was his wife and I was considered a witness. Wow. So I didn't hear anything until he called that night to tell me. Wow. That's horrible. So your family, none of your family, your mother, nobody could have been in the room with you? No, they they were in the... They were in the courtroom when the trial was going pl was taking place. But uh, my attorney, he had told Deborah that he was going to put on as a witness, but he never put on as a witness. So as a witness, she couldn't be in the trial to in the courtroom to hear any other testimony. So wow. that's why Deborah she went was that. I got you. Okay. Wow. So you had a newborn baby when you found out the news that there was no, the decision was made and it was a 35-year sentence. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what did you do as far as support? That had to have been so hard as a young, married, but single mother. It was very hard. And I had been working for Southwestern Bell for two years before they went over into AT&T. And uh, my father helped me. Along the way, I had my brother and my sister. So you had lots of family support. Why well, I had family support, yes. And how about you on your end, Ben? How was those first several months in hmm. incarceration? It was hectic. I mean, when I was when I was first arrested, uh, you know, I always believed that the truth would prevail and that I would eventually go home. You right. know. So I just knew when I went to trial that I would be found not guilty and I would return to my my life on the outside. However, that wasn't the case. I was convicted, as I said, twice. And I believe I was sent to prison in June of 1988. It was in the middle of the summer. It was hot. Uh, when I got to prison, I mean, it was, of course, it was lonely. And, and I at the time, I had an appeal going on. And so now I'm hoping that the appeal uh, works in my favor, that, I, that the case is overturned and I get to go home soon. And that wasn't the case as well. Uh, it, the, I believe it was the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals. They denied the, the, uh, the application for, of appeal. So I was stuck with a life sentence. So one blow after another after another. What did that do to you psychologically? Mm. It was tough. I mean, uh, first of all, I was being sentenced to a life sentence. I didn't think I'd ever see uh, freedom again. And back then I was young, so I just knew that the world would end before I had a chance to be free again. Yeah. And uh, But it was hard, uh, hard being away, and of course Deborah, she was coming to visit me. Bring and a few every now and then she would bring BJ, and I really didn't like seeing seeing him in prison, but I enjoyed seeing him because he was, I mean, he was my son. Of course, yeah, it was our only child, so uh, it was always exciting to have visits. But when the visit was over, it was depressing because yeah. they got to go back to their lives on the outside, and of course I went back to my life on the inside. Yeah. Wow. So, so as far as seeing your son and Didi, how often did you get to see each other? Well, at first it was, uh, Didi would, would come down quite frequently, uh, sometimes two or three times a month, if not four. Uh, but as time went on, you know, I, I was kind of convincing her to, trying to convince her to kind of go on with her life, you know. 
after the appeal was denied, I just, I didn't feel that it was right for her to be tied down to me and I was incarcerated. And Dee you were so faithful and devoted. And I know you have a strong faith and a wonderful walk with the Lord. And I just admire you so much. So oh, how did how did you get through this? It was definitely the grace of God and my husband, because there was times that I didn't I, I thought I couldn't make it. And there was one time that I actually told Ben that I didn't believe in God because I didn't see how this could be happening to our family and our lives. Mm -hmm. And he was, he told me, he said, listen, there is a God. Mm -hmm. He's saying he is with us through this. Mm -hmm. And he, he has been, I mean, mm -hmm. he, so let's talk about the day you find out you're being released. So walk us through that awesome day. What's the, before we get there, what, what was the process that led to the eventual release? Uh, well, of course, uh, I started writing an organization out of New Jersey called Centurion Ministries. And it, I mean, it gave me some hope, but it also uh, kind of, I didn't know if I would ever receive the help that I was seeking because they received so many requests from people all over the United States plus Canada. Uh, but anyway, they took my case around 2000, 2001, and they began to work it, beat the streets, trying to find witnesses. And of course, they would find witnesses. And uh, then he hired an attorney by the name of Cheryl Wadley. She uh, put together a writ in my behalf uh, of constitutional grounds where they thought I should be uh, have relief on. So... It finally made it to uh, be heard in the year 2007 by the judge, by Judge Rick Magnus. Uh, he heard the case. He took a, a week hearing the case. And at the end of the week, uh, he took about a year before he made a ruling on actual innocence. And I believe he really thought that the that things would work in my favor. So... It went to the Court of Criminal Appeals, of course, and for three years they had the case. And in three years, I want to say a little over three years, they decided to deny the relief that the judge said he he is thought. Is that I normal that it takes that long for them to work through that process? Were they dragging their feet, or is that just this is just the normal way that the system works? Well, I think it's normal. I think they normally take uh, a few years to review the case. Uh, because the Court of Criminal Appeals, they hear cases throughout, I mean, every county sends cases to the Court of Criminal Appeals. So they have a lot of cases to hear. And so I, I guess it's just normal. They normally take, on average, I think they take about three years to rule. Okay. And they, I mean, they can rule sh in a shorter period, but. So they initially denied it. Yes. And then what happened? Well, after they denied it, uh, of course, uh, I kept trying to. Uh, talk my attorney into going to the take it to the federal court, and she kept saying she wasn't she didn't want to go to the federal court just yet, and so they kept looking for other constitutional grounds that they believed were violated, and so of course they f began to find witnesses. Uh, some more uh, people came into the into the picture, uh, which is uh, this attorney by the name of Gary Udishin, uh an investigator by the name of Daryl 
Parker and a journalist by the name of Barbara Haggerty. So when they got involved, of course, Daryl and, and Barb, they start kind of beating the streets looking for these witnesses again. And they were very instrumental in, in getting or talking to these witnesses. And eventually uh, the witnesses began to talk. Uh, there was an inmate who had testified that I had confessed this offense to him. And he admitted to them that he knew how to play the game. And he was it was just about trying to help himself, not about uh, mm -hmm. telling the truth. It was just about trying to uh, get a lesser, lesser sentence to help him get out of, of prison. Uh, then one of the witnesses who lived in the neighborhood, he admitted that he lied and that this lady, Gladys Oliver, had put, a, put him up to it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Goodness. And so when did they, when did the court finally rule in your favor? How many years ago uh, later was that? It was after the Court of Criminal Appeals had denied it. It was about 11 years. Oh, my word. Yeah. So, so it seems like, like you get knocked down. There's a little, there's a glimmer of hope. You're like, okay, this is going to be it. And then it's knocked down again. And then there's a glimmer of hope and it's knocked down again. Every time it's three to seven years later. Yeah. Unbelievable. So this is where, you know, we brought you in with our, with this podcast. So give us an example of you're not feeling good. What is the process? Say, you know, like you, you're having a headache, you have a migraine. Mm -hmm. Like how, what is the process when you're in prison and you're convicted of this crime but you need medical attention. How, hmm. how does it work? Well, you put in a, uh, of course they do walk-ins, but walk-ins, you sit in the infirmary for hours and, and then you probably get told that you're not going to see anybody. Uh, but of course you can put in a sick call, which is a request that you fill out a piece of paper and tell them, you know, and they send it to the infirmary and then they'll call you out. They'll let you in and call you out. And generally, uh, I don't know what the medical system is like down there now, but back in the day, it was it was horrible. I mean, most people that went to to the infirmary, they felt like they was playing games just to try to get out of work. Yeah, and so it was kind of hard getting a medical proper medical attention. Uh, they might tell you to take Tylenol. In fact, uh, I know of uh, individuals who actually went to the infirmary and were told to go go back to their cells and take a Tylenol. Nothing wrong with them, and the next day, these individuals were dead. Wow. Yeah. So is, is there any option for you to advocate for him? So if he's telling you, I'm, I'm not feeling well, and I'm not getting the care I needed, how do you, can you intervene on his behalf at all? There's nothing I can do. Nothing. Nothing. I did uh, call his attorney and complain about how he was being treated a couple of times, but that was nothing that was she could do. Wow. I mean, you're basically at the mercy at of... The mercy those guards and right. well well I know you you will both have a strong relationship with the Lord and so in prison were there any type of ministries you could be involved in Bible studies support groups like there had to be some good <laughs> or, or you know was there anything to look forward to yes I mean they had all they had a number of uh religious program, spiritual uh, counseling. Uh, I don't think it's as great as it once was. Uh, I mean, they had so many ministries coming in, so many Bible studies you could take. Uh, but over the years, I think they have limited 
the people who are coming in and especially with COVID taking place, it's kind of pretty much shut down, uh, so to speak. They still have uh, chapel services, but it's not as, I mean, used to have something going on every night, every day in a prison uh, as far as going to the chapel and, and hearing the word of God. And that's, it's been cut down, like I said. Well, that's kind of the same thing in healthcare that we've seen is where you know, during COVID, they couldn't do activities, just right. they didn't want people to be around other people, yeah. the isolation. And now that continues and it's so sad. There's no excuse, but I think they've just gotten into a pattern right. of it's just easier on the staff, actually. Um, but Didi, I know you are, you know, I've helped you collect some books. I know that you are collecting books for prison ministry. So tell me what you're doing um, with some of the things that you've learned through Ben to help others. Just give me some examples of some things you're doing. Well, um, I have a friend at church and she collect books to send down to, um, to one of the prisons and I help with that. And um, I just recently retired, so I'm just getting to have free time right now. Did you find, why books? Did you find while in prison that there's just not enough resources like that? Well, I know when Ben was in prison that uh, Jim McCluskey and his office would always send him books. Okay. So I know they needed those resources. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So let's talk about your reunion. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, so it was March of 2020. Am I correct on the no, date? Uh, 2021. Of our reunion? You're right. Okay, yes. 2021. Oh, yes. March, March, 12. March 12th. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. So talk about that day. <laughs> well, first, before you go there, when did you find out you were going to be released? And then how long after, thank goodness, I'm finally being released, well, actually, did you I actually was, get released? I was on the phone. It was a Friday. And, uh, of course, the judge, for, for some reason, I don't know what was going on, but everybody was kind of impatient. My lawyer, Deborah, my my mother, everybody was impatient. It was like, well, the judge is taking too long. Why she, why she just won't sign off on it? I was like, give her the time to do what she needs to do. So anyway, uh, she had said it was going to be the following <laughs> week before she heard the case. And so I'm on the phone talking to Deborah, and she's telling me, well, it don't look like you're going to get released. So I think I'm going to go to Houston with Ken and Laura, which is some <laughs> of our friends. And uh, I said, okay, you know, we'll go ahead and go to Houston and, uh, you know, you know, try to just forget about everything, have a good time. And so while I'm talking to her on the phone, uh, my uh, advocate, which is Jim McCluskey for Century Ministry, he's trying to call Deborah, but she's not answering the phone because she's talking over. to me. You click over, it disconnects. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So uh, I'm I'm talking. And he's, and meanwhile, he's trying to call you to give you the news. Yeah. Well, Ben never called on a Friday. He always called every okay. Saturday morning. And just by the grace of God, we were on the phone that Friday when yeah. all this started happening. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, so while I'm talking to her, this. This female guard that's working the floor that I'm on, she comes and she said, uh, uh, come on, uh, Spencer, we, we're going to take you to, down to the court. You know, you got some papers to sign. I said, OK. She said, hurry up. You need to come on because we're trying to get you out of here. I'm like, huh? So she said, hurry up and get dressed so we can get you out of here. 
So I said, okay. I said, they want me to go sign some papers. So Deborah's trying to holler at me and tell me not to sign anything. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> so, uh, so, but the guard is steady. After all the stuff you guys have been through, I don't blame you. Like, no, no, no yeah. This is a trick. Yeah. Yeah. So the guard is, she's telling me, come on, come on, Spence, we got to get you out of here. So I tell her, I got to go, I got to go. So I hang up the phone. So I get dressed and they take me uh, down stairs to a holdover. Then they take me up on the, I think it was the seventh floor of the court, uh, Frank Crowley court building. And so I'm up there waiting in a holdover. And so my attorney comes out and said, uh, they're going to have a hearing. It's going to be a Zoom hearing. I said, okay. So now there's a bailiff that comes out there and he's tell, telling me that I'm going home today. I'm like, well, I'm not going home today. The, the judge already said she's not going to sign anything till next week. So anyway, long story short, we go in and the judge, she's not in the courtroom, but she's on the Zoom. Oh, you haven't told <laughs> you. So while he's gone to do all this signing, I'm like, he shouldn't sign any paper. And I see all this stuff on the news. So I called, I look at my caller ID and I see Jim is trying to call me. So I call Jim, I go right to his voicemail. So I call Barb, which is the journalist that's doing the book and everything. Uh -huh. She just happened to be downtown interviewing Ben's best friend that was in prison with him. So Barb doesn't answer. So I call, and I don't know they're together. Yeah. Then I call William, he doesn't answer. Then I call William's wife and she answers and tell me where they are and what they're doing. And I was like, okay, that's good, but you have to go in there and interrupt Barb because Barb had told me that if anything goes down, call me first. Yeah. Because she have the news media and everything. So Janetta goes in and she tells Barb, you know, y'all have to cut the interview. You know, Ben is going to have a hearing. So by that time, Jim calls me back and he said, I need you throw on some clothes and get downtown. You need to be down there by 1.30. Did you know he was being released at that point? No. You did we not. were just going this for a hearing. hearing. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I was getting ready to go to Houston. <laughs> so I told trip. my friends, yeah. you know, y'all just go eat, you know, after the hearing. I'll come back to the house and meet y'all here and we'll go on to Houston. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what happens at the hearing? So we have the hearing and uh, Deborah, my son, and my mother's there. And, uh, and Only three people could be there. Yeah. Oh, wow. And... Uh, so the judge, she uh, lets us know that she's going to sign off on on my release. So I'm still not thinking I'm, I'm going home today because it's right at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, somewhere off of now. I think it's 3 o'clock. And so normally TDC shuts down at, it's a Friday, so people trying to get out early. And so they normally go home around about 3.30, 4 o'clock. So I know that even though this judge signed his paper, that TDC is not going, no one's going to be there to, to sign off for my release from TDC. So somehow some strings will pull and, and within an hour of, of this judge signing his paper, I was walking out the front door. Wow. Corey Session. What does Corey, yeah, Corey do? Session. He, his brother was one of the post, uh, humorous, uh, Exonerees. He died in prison, but he was exonerated after he had died in prison from asthma, I believe it was. But uh, his brother is a uh, big advocate in in uh, 
actual innocence cases as well as uh, trying to help people that are in prison. Yeah. Wow. So Corey Session told me, he said, we're going to push these papers through and he'll be out this evening. I'm like, what? He said, if you walk over to the, um, the jailhouse, he should be out in 20 minutes. Wow. wow. And I was like, this is not happening today. He said, yes, it is. Incredible. That's amazing. And that's the video that we see. Yes. Right, when he's coming out. Yes. Okay. And that's the first time you've seen him. Yes. Yeah, free. Mm-hmm. In how many years? 34. 34 years. Wow. And you two remarried last year. It was yes. a wonderful occasion. So just tell us, I know where time is, is limited, but just tell us a little bit briefly about just that wedding day. And I know I was there. I was so honored to be there. But <laughs> just tell us just how it felt okay. to remarry and have friends that support you and love you there for you guys. I mean, it was it was exciting for me. I mean, uh, I really had hoped that I could always uh, have Deborah back as my wife, and of course, uh, I now do. And so, I, I mean, it was I was just ecstatic that that we had uh, recommitted ourselves to each other. Awesome. It was the perfect day for me. Everything went as planned. Um, Laurie really engineered my entire wedding. Mm -hmm. I just sat back and appeared, and it was beautiful. That's awesome. It was. So what's next for you guys now? Well, we're still waiting on the Court of Criminal Appeals to rule in the case. And and from then, you know, who knows? Uh, I would definitely like to get involved in, in uh, prison ministry more than I am now, uh, as well as advocating for those who are still in prison. Uh, parole. Uh, I think there's there needs to be something done about the parole system in Texas. It's broken. Uh, people who go to prison, they go there for, most of them go there for crimes that they've committed. But however, there are guys down there who, who follow the rules, you know, and they're doing everything they can to try to get back home to their families. And for some reason or another, they're always set off, you know. Uh, and I, I just think that's unfortunate that the parole board doesn't uh, acknowledge the fact that, they, that they're doing all the things they can do to, to acquire this uh, privilege of being paroled. And, and it's like a dangling a carrot before them. And, and of course, they never catch hold to it. Gotcha. It's, it's horrible. Wow. Wow. So tell us about, I know John Grisham is involved and um, you've got a documentary. Can you briefly tell us what's going on with your book? Yeah. Well, Barbara Haggard is writing, writing a book and it, I think it entails several stories, but I think my case is probably like the, the nucleus of it. Uh, and the documentary, they're working on trying to find a network to, to uh, help produce it where they could show it on uh, like Netflix or something like that. And so they're working on that right now. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Well, you know, the, in the Bible, it says God redeems the day and, and he has redeemed the day for you guys. And we're just so honored to have you as our first guest. Thank and you. just thank you for sharing your story. And um, it's just been a blessing to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you guys very much. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all have a blessed week. Thank, thank you. you. You do the same. You too. <laughs>